Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful tonight that you are a holy God. And we want to magnify and praise and worship your name as the Almighty One, the Holy One. Thank you, Lord, that you are not only holy, but we are called to be holy. And you didn't just leave us with that command, but you indeed make us holy. We thank you, Lord, for your empowering presence. We thank you, Father, for the fact that we have been able to worship you tonight. And we want to continue to magnify your name as the Holy One. And we want to continue to discover from your word how you've called us and how as you've called us, you have empowered us. For it's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you'd like to, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. I would encourage you to leave your Bibles open as we work through this passage. The theme of my message is the marks of the Spirit-driven church. The setting of Acts chapter 8 is that of intense persecution for the church. One of the greatest leaders, if you remember, just shortly before chapter 8, we have an account of how this man, loved by everyone by the name of Stephen, had been stoned to death for telling the truth that some people didn't want to hear. The persecution at this time was so much so that the Scripture tells us, as we come into chapter 8, that the church was scattered. And if you want to look with me at verse 1, it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. What would you think that this kind of disruption would do to most organizations? What would this kind of disruption do to most people? And what did it do to these people? Well... We see that they were scattered, but that was not the whole story. Look at, with me at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They didn't give up. They didn't hide. They didn't pack it in. Instead, what we see here is incredible resilience. We see incredible courage. Now, when you look at these kinds of Christians who display these kinds of qualities... In this kind of situation, we all want to ask, how did they do it? When you look at these kinds of Christians, especially when you look within the context of the book of Acts, I believe that you always find one thing in common every time they characterize this level of resilience and courage. Christians like this display these qualities when they are gripped by a mission. They find that they have resilience and courage because they must. They are driven by a greater purpose for their lives. And the reason they possess undying passion is because they are possessed by a great God and are driven by His purpose for their lives. The Word is very clear here and throughout Acts that possession by God at this level does not occur unless someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to examine some more people like this throughout chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. And, and here I have found what I would like to share with you, what I believe are four characteristics of what we could call spirit-filled people or spirit-driven people who make up spirit-driven churches. The first characteristic of a spirit-driven people then is that, number one, 
they see new opportunities in spite of obstacles. And one of these was Philip. He was among the scattered people, but he didn't, again, as we think other people might do, he didn't run and hide. He didn't give up. Instead, he made the most of this new obstacle. Now, the Bible tells us that Philip happened to go to Samaria. And Philip, as you may remember, is already mentioned in Acts as one of the men chosen to serve tables. Just like Stephen in the chapter before. They were put in a position of serving tables. But it also notes in Acts that they had a particular kind of power, that they were men who were full of the Holy Spirit. And so Philip, following suit, being full of the Holy Spirit, as a characteristic of one who sees opportunities and obstacles, was going to continue to live that out, and wherever he found himself, he was going to look around, as he did in Samaria, and say, hey, there's some work that needs to be done here. There are people here that don't know Jesus. And so he sort of stepped out of his assigned role, And at Samaria, we see him doing this. Look in verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and others were healed. So there was great joy in that city. How about you? Do you have the Holy Spirit show you how God can still unfold His purpose in your life in spite of obstacles? Do you allow Him to show you new opportunities in line with His purpose for your life? And might that purpose at times be a new challenge that has been placed before you? People filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, find this to be a part of their life and their relationship with God as fulfilling His purpose and finding resilience and courage in everything in life. But another characteristic of a people driven by the Holy Spirit is they have a constant store of empowerment. You show me a person who seems invincible and I will show you that there is a source of power upon which they continually draw. Now you say invincible. What do you mean by that? Never tired, never weary, doesn't get discouraged. No, I don't mean that when I mean invincible. I'm talking about invincible in the sense that we see here in the early church. There was perseverance. There was consistency. There was a single focus. And because there was the single focus of the Holy Spirit living in and through their lives, there was the accomplishment of great and mighty acts of God. That was a type of invincibility where they could overcome the world as Jesus had promised would happen. There is a source of power then upon which a person who may seem invincible in this sense draws. There is always a constant feed of power behind a person. Every powerhouse you see needs fuel. Faith needs fuel. And if you are a Christian, the baseline we know, of course, is that you've chosen to have your life based on Christ. But it's the Holy Spirit who shapes us in the will of God. And it is the Holy Spirit who shapes us into the image of Christ. And He is the only kind of fuel that can do this. Philip had that kind of fuel. Look with me at chapter 8, verse 12, and then I'm going to skip to 14 through 16. Verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God 
and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And then verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The apostles came to endorse what was happening. This was appropriate for the purpose of unity. It was appropriate in order to observe the lines of spiritual authority. It was necessary to establish continuity for this scattered constituency of early believers. But most important, these apostles knew that these people were going to need a supply of power. So they came to take care of it. Because miracles weren't enough. Baptism was not enough. They needed a source of power. Now I want to just kind of pause here for a second because when I talk about empowerment like this, I almost make it sound like a thing. And it isn't. And yet on purpose I've expressed it this way. For I can't get past the fact that when you look at this passage of Scripture and throughout the book of Acts, I can't get past the fact that a power and an energy was upon these people that was tangible, through which there were tangible results. Sometimes we want to water down this thing and say, oh, it's just about lordship and I'm just going to love Jesus and I'm just going to keep working hard for him. But the acts of the apostles throughout, there was a power, a tangible power, as I've said, with tangible results. And so I kind of said it this way on purpose. However, we do need to understand theologically that this was not some kind of just energy field or just some kind of impersonal force or some kind of thing or that the Holy Spirit is kind of a thing. Instead, we are talking about the third person of the Trinity. We are talking about power in a relationship with a person. But it is power that is real, that will manifest itself in lives, in our lives, and through the things that we do and the way we express ourselves in every part of our lives in a very tangible way. Another characteristic of a people driven by the Holy Spirit is that their lives have a magnetic quality. Now, I'm not talking about simply winning a popularity contest. In fact, the whole thing started because a powerful man of God named Stephen had repelled some folks and had actually lost a popularity contest. What I'm talking about when I talk about a magnetic quality that we see through the life of Philip is that for those who are hungry for God and the ways of the Spirit, these people were attracted to Philip. They were attracted to a people and to a place where they could find satisfaction for that hunger. You see, people aren't attracted to wishy-washy. They're not attracted to what's uncertain. Philip's ministry in Samaria was attractive to those who wanted to be focused on God. There was not any doubt in anyone's mind that it was God who was manifesting himself and working among these people. And we read about a man named Simon then, who even put aside his practice of sorcery to become a believer. Let's look in chapter 8, verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and was amazed... And amazed all the pe- I'm sorry, he wasn't amazed. He amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with magic. 
But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great miracles and signs that he saw. Now we know then here that Simon is attracted to the way of God with mixed motives. But you know what? There are a lot of Simon-type people in this world that we have to reach for Jesus Christ. And we can't attract Simons with some understanding of what was happening here. Because sometimes we have to appeal to what people want, and sometimes we need to understand that the power and the wonder of God should have a magnetic quality that, yes, fascinates people. We need to be careful when sometimes we have been afraid to overreact to what we think are sensationalism and emotionalism, to clamp tight down on that and not see that people who are looking for something need to be something, there needs to be something that has appeal. And throughout the book of Acts, signs and wonders accompanied the apostles. There was a power that that was so magnetic that someone who was practicing sorcery said, I'm going to get rid of this. Over here is something better. Do our churches manifest that kind of power? Do we manifest that kind of power in our lives? And of course we understand that you can't stay there, you know, in, in, in just simply promoting the sensational. And neither can someone who just kind of goes after God for what they want. There has to be a movement from being centered on just me and what I want to God and what He wants for me. And what I believe that is so special about the magnetism of the Holy Spirit is that when it is the magnetism of the Holy Spirit, it attracts people, but then it will also ultimately lead people to the center of the truth where they may have to face some things and deal with some things in their lives that make them feel uncomfortable. And we see how Simon comes up to this realization because another characteristic of a people driven by the Holy Spirit is they do, they do not compromise the truth. When you're driven by the Holy Spirit, there is no compromise. Simon had been driven by his own agenda and he kind of got stuck there. Yes, even though it looked like on the surface that he was driven by God, he had been dominated by what we would understand as a consumer attitude. That is, let's look at just what this can do for me rather than seeing that it was time to move into God's agenda. You see, he wanted the Holy Spirit on his own terms. Let's look at verse 17 of chapter 8. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of apostles' hands, he offered them money and said... Give me also this ability so that everyone I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. Wow, you're talking about not compromising the truth. Because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this witness, I'm sorry, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord because he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Peter explains right here some characteristics of compromise. And I want to kind of summarize what he says. He says, first of all, he says, your heart is not right. Peter could instantly see that 
Simon's heart was set on his own way instead of God's way. And he says to him a very interesting, curious phrase, I think, for he says, you are full of bitterness. And in the Greek, it says, your bile, you are full of bile of bitterness. It's like as bitter and as bile as you can possibly get. Full of it. And then he says, you are captive to sin, which is what it says in the NIV, but the original says, there is a bond of unrighteousness. In other words, you are enslaved by unrighteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought, my, that's just awfully harsh. And and why is he bringing out the idea of bitterness here? I mean, it's true to to buy from money. It's true that that was wrong and, and certainly sinful, but I don't see bitterness there. Instead, I'm saying, hey, I want this too. Misguided, wrong, yes, bitter. But, you know, I think that's where you have to rely on the context and, and also look at the fact that when he's bringing this up, there was something he saw in that setting with Simon that we haven't seen. And I want to kind of unpack it this way, and it's this. The most, some of those bitter people I've ever met in my life were, peop, or were people who covet. They're people who are driven by jealousy. People for whom it's never good enough and people who are competitive in their spirits and say, if you're going to have that, I'm going to have it too. You're not going to get ahead of me. I'm going to be on top no matter what. A competitive spirit. And I think that that's what Peter saw in him. For Simon wanted to take the shortcut and try to buy it with money and Simon said, if you can do it, I can do it. I've got to have this. Once again, looking at what often happens in compromise when we begin to want our way instead of God's way, when we get a bitter and competitive spirit driven by jealousy. The word and is used in here for he says you are also captive to sin, to a bond of unrighteousness. So to sum up, Simon wanted to manipulate things according to his own desires ahead of God's. And this is consistent too if you look at the fact that Simon had been caught up in occultic practices. What are occultic practices and magic arts about? It has to do with manipulating spirits and forces of nature to advance what I want. That's what he was still caught up in. Peter tells Simon that he needs to repent. And as we know, repentance means to make an about face. However, sadly, Simon chooses the lower road, for we see in 8 to 24, he just says, well, just don't let me suffer any bad results. Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said will happen to me. We can overcome this attitude of compromise by repentance. In fact, we must. If we are going to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we must be finished with compromise in our lives. And so tonight as we conclude, I would like for us to pray and for, to bow our heads for a second and pray together. Now, let me, let me say this. If in this prayer you think it would be easier to do it at the altar, that's fine. But you know what? I just don't want this to be, and I'm not saying it is when altar calls are given. I believe in altar calls with all of my heart. I believe it's something we need to continue to do in the church, give people opportunities to respond, and and the Holy Spirit speaking to people's hearts. But you know what? Something like this, like this kind of empowerment, I'd like to give you a homework assignment. I want you to pray this prayer and think where you are with God tonight and pray. But I'd like for you to find a place somewhere, if God's speaking to your heart, somewhere, sometime, Look at Acts chapter 8, the patterns of the marks of the Holy Spirit. Get on your face before God and say, I am not leaving this place.
till I know that I know that I know that I am manifesting the marks of the Holy Spirit in my life? Is my life magnetic? Is there compromise in my life? Do I know the fullness of His power? Do I have... Do I not compromise the truth? All of these different qualities that we, are, we have spoken of, are there attitudes of bitterness in my life that are like Simon's? And I just don't think we can just settle that tonight right here at an altar. Instead, tonight what I want us to do is we're going to pray together and then we're going to sing a closing song. I believe it's Spirit of the Living God. But let's bow our heads for a second. I just want to say, Lord, I want to see life through the lenses of opportunities rather than being left hopeless by obstacles. God, there's so many obstacles, but I want the power of your Holy Spirit to be like Philip and like Stephen, whose face shone like an angel when he was being stoned. He could have ran away, but he didn't. Lord, I want to have your enablement in my life, a constant store of power by knowing you as a person and by being filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want my life to have a magnetic quality so that other people are drawn to Jesus through me. Lord, I want to surrender bitterness, compromise. I don't want to be bound and captive by any area of my life in unrighteousness. I want to do what pleases you and not just what pleases me. like our chaplain to come and lead us.